And good Tuesday morning. Growing outrage over that shooting of a Missouri teen who rang the wrong doorbell. New details on his recovery and the investigation. It is April 18th. This is Today. Charged the 84-year-old homeowner who opened fire on a 16-year-old now facing two felony counts. I can tell you there was a racial component to the case. The young student now out of the hospital but facing a long road to recovery. We'll have the very latest and hear from his family. Breaking news, American journalist Evan Gerskovich appearing in a Russian court just this morning, appealing his arrest on spying charges. What his attorneys are saying and the latest on the push from the White House to secure his release. Fox News on trial, the closely watched defamation case over the spread of misinformation after the 2020 election getting underway this morning. Dominion voting systems suing for nearly $2 billion in a high profile trial testing the boundaries of free speech. We're live at the courthouse. Banning TikTok, Montana passes a first-of-its-kind bill making it illegal to download the wildly popular app. But how could it be enforced and is it even legal? We'll have the latest and what you need to know if you have TikTok on your phone. Those stories plus dramatic moments. Right where his blood is at, that's right where it all happened. New body cam footage showing the rescue of Jeremy Renner moments after his snowplow accident. Just ahead, the quick thinking from first responders that saved the star's life. Today, Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Well, hey there. Good morning. Good to see you on this Tuesday morning. So happy that you're with us. Yeah, we've got a lot to get to this morning. We'll start with those new developments out of Kansas City. After days of protests, an 84-year-old man has now been charged with assault after he opened fire on a 16-year-old boy who rang his doorbell by mistake. Prosecutors are now saying they believe there was a racial component to the incident. That teen, Ralph Yarl, he was picking up his younger twin brother when he went down the wrong street. Well, he's now been released from the hospital and is continuing his long recovery at home. NBC's Maggie Vespa's in Kansas City with the very latest. Hey, Maggie, good morning. Hey, Hoda, good morning. Yeah, Andrew Lester telling police that he'd never seen 16-year-old Ralph Yarl before, and he says the two didn't exchange any words before the shooting. Yarl's family telling a very different story to that point, and their attorney says these charges late yesterday were a surprise to them, charges that could send this homeowner to prison for the rest of his life. This morning, Mounting calls for justice after a Missouri teen was shot when, according to his family, he simply rang the wrong doorbell. What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Now! 84-year-old Andrew Lester, the Kansas City homeowner who is white, is facing first-degree assault and armed criminal action charges for allegedly shooting 16-year-old Ralph Yarl, who is black. The high school junior went to pick up his younger twin brothers Thursday night, but his family says he accidentally went to the wrong home and rang the bell. According to the probable cause warrant for his arrest, Lester thought Ralph Yarl was attempting to break in and was, quote, scared to death. There was a racial component to the case. 
Clay County Prosecutor Zachary Thompson says Yarl never crossed into Lester's home and alleges he was shot through a glass door with a 32 revolver. Yarl told police Lester also said, don't come around here. Civil rights attorney Lee Merritt says Yarl was shot twice, including once in the head. After he was shot, running for help, knocking on multiple doors. And then the third neighbor uh, gave him instructions to put his hands in the air and lie on the ground. The shooting garnered the attention of the nation, making headlines in Hollywood, too. Halle Berry and Viola Davis posting on social media demanding charges. Merritt also says President Biden called Yarl, inviting him to the White House. Relatives say Yarl is a marching band standout with dreams of attending Texas A&M for chemical engineering and that his community is strong, his family thankful he's alive. He's alive. I think that's the biggest message that I want people to remember is that he is alive. Um, after you, you describe him being shot, what do we know about his injuries? Yes, Ahoda, perhaps no surprise. The family attorney says they're very serious injuries because, again, the family says that 16-year-old Ralph Yarl was shot twice, the first time in the head, they say, and the second time in the arm when he was on the ground. They say that first bullet left Ralph with a traumatic brain injury and a cracked skull. And after, they say, having surgery in the hospital, Ralph, at this point, they add, has already been discharged from the hospital. He's home, and his aunt tells us he's healing one day at a time. All right. Maggie Vespa for us there in Kansas City. Maggie, thank you. Breaking overseas this morning, jailed American journalist Evan Gershkovich appearing in a Russian court to appeal his arrest on spying charges. NBC's chief international correspondent, Keir Simmons, joins us with the latest on this. Keir, good morning. Savannah, good morning. We've just learned Evan Gershkovich has lost his appeal against his detention. Moments earlier, he looked relaxed and determined in court. The news that he will not be released does not come as a surprise. A fellow reporter calling out in court, stay strong, Evan. His newspaper saying he was simply doing his job as a journalist. This morning, Evan Gershkovich in a Russian court. The first images of him for weeks, standing in a glass box, surrounded by masked security guards as the cameras were brought in, wearing a shirt and jeans, arms folded, at one point talking to his legal team, losing an appeal over charges of spying, despite vehement denials by the US and his employer. Gershkovich was an accredited journalist. I love you very, very much, he told his family in a letter published by the Wall Street Journal, his first direct contact with them. Until we meet soon, he wrote. Evan Gershkovich was detained during a reporting trip to Yekaterinburg. He's now held in a notorious Moscow prison. The newspaper releasing an interview with his parents and sister. It was just like crushing, totally crushing. Along with a video of the reporter as a child, growing up, playing sports and the cello. I'm just in awe of him. His family says he loved Russia and being a reporter. I'm not losing hope, he wrote to them in his two-page note home. I know that he felt like it was his duty to report. He loved Russian people, you know. He still does. He still does, yes. He was really passionate about um, showing other sides to Russia, the nuance and, and, the, and the beauty of it. But as the court hearing got underway this morning, Russian television focused on footage of President Putin visiting Russian-occupied Ukraine, speaking to Russian troops in the Kherson region. It's not clear when that trip took place. And this morning, the U.S. ambassador describing it as, quote, troubling to see an innocent journalist Held in these circumstances, Gershevich could face up to 20 years in prison if convicted. Russian lawyers say 
Past investigations, Savannah, into espionage cases have taken a year to 18 months. Care Simmons with the update. Thank you. All right. Now to arrest right here in New York, sure to raise tensions between the United States and China. So two men were taken into custody by the FBI, accused of setting up a secret and illegal police station right here in Manhattan on behalf of the Chinese government. NBC's Peter Alexander has that story. All right, Peter, walk us through what we know. I mean, this is, sounds bizarre, a secret police station. So this is a stunning scheme, the more we learn about it right now. You've got these two men linked to the Chinese government who were apparently operating. They were running what was, in effect, this illegal overseas police station. It was in lower Manhattan, as you see there, literally just blocks away from where the FBI is located there. The Justice Department says it was part of a plot that was intended to monitor and intimidate critics of the Chinese government. Anybody that was basically doing anything that would interrupt with the rule of law, they were trying to help sort of amplify those thoughts as well. China responded this morning. They call this, the accusations, unfounded. They deny that these stations even exist. But the bottom line is you got these federal officials who say the men were operating directly uh, at the behest of a Chinese government official. And one of the defendants here allegedly helped locate a pro-democracy activist, a pro-democracy activist who was working out in California. This was an activist of a Chinese descent who was living in California. They were basically cracking down on that as well. This is part of a larger global network we're learning about right now, said to include about 100 of these clandestine police stations, 100 in all, according to a human rights group around the world. They're saying there are these other police stations in other parts of the world that the Chinese government is operating. A separate group also tied to the Chinese government, was charged. What do you know about that? Yeah, so federal prosecutors just unveiled these separate charges yesterday against more than three dozen officers with China's national police force for using social media to try to harass dissidents within the United States right now. While those charged are abroad, the DOJ right now is accusing, and I want to get this right, they accuse them of creating these fake social media accounts effectively to silence critics living in the U.S. who are covertly spreading propaganda. This is all an attempt by the Justice Department really right now to try to crack down on Beijing's influence here in the United States. But as you noted from the start, this is only going to raise tensions between the two countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, right on our doorstep here, Peter. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much on that breaking news. We turn now to today's delayed start to that closely watched trial, the defamation lawsuit brought by voting machine maker Dominion against Fox News. NBC Stephanie Goss joins us from the courthouse in Wilmington, Delaware. Steph, good morning. Hey, Savannah, good morning. As you mentioned, this trial was supposed to start on Monday. And then the judge issued an unexpected delay without giving a reason. There were some reports that there were last-minute settlement negotiations underway, but neither side would comment. NBC News has not confirmed those reports. The judge says the trial starts today. With the start of the landmark trial finally here, some of Fox News' biggest stars could be taking the stand in the coming weeks, along with company heads, including 92-year-old Fox Corporation chairman, Rupert Murdoch. At the center of the case, 20 statements following the 2020 presidential election. President Trump's lawyers were repeated guests on Fox News, claiming Dominion voting machines rigged the election. The machine ran an algorithm that shaved votes from Trump and awarded them to Biden. At the center of it all, Dominion voting systems. Uh, Are they the culprit here? Not the only culprit, but are they the principal culprit? 
All of the allegations false, Judge Eric Davis says. Writing in a recent decision, the evidence was crystal clear. None of the statements relating to Dominion about the 2020 election are true. But Dominion will have to prove actual malice, that Fox published lies knowingly or with reckless disregard for the truth. A necessary standard for a democracy, say legal experts. Otherwise, we're going to create a chilling effect where it's actually hard for people to get information. According to court documents, Fox News argues it gave context and informed their audience at every turn that the allegations were just allegations. In a statement, Fox News saying Dominion's lawsuit is a political crusade in search of a financial windfall. But the real cost would be cherished First Amendment rights. Less than two weeks after the election, Fox was facing a backlash. Audience numbers down by more than 30 percent, according to court documents. November 12th, the Fox White House correspondent challenged Mr. Trump's claims about the election. Tucker Carlson texted Sean Hannity, please get her fired. It's measurably hurting the company. The stock price is down. The text, part of a mountain of evidence that has been released publicly. Fox argues much of it cherry-picked to hurt the network's reputation. A rare behind-the-scenes look after one of the country's most contentious elections. One of the key questions in this trial is going to be who had editorial control over these broadcasts. The judge explicitly said that Dominion's challenge is going to be connecting that person or people to these specific shows in question. Savannah, back to you. Stephanie Gosk at the courthouse. Thank you, Stephanie. 7.13, a lot more to get to. Welcome, Craig, to the table. Hi, Craig. Hold morning. Savannah. Morning. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. Breaking overnight, new protests in Akron, Ohio, in the wake of a key decision tied to a fatal police shooting there. Demonstrators taking to the streets after a grand jury declined to indict eight officers involved in the death of 25-year-old Jalen Walker. NBC's Jesse Kirsch is in Akron with more this morning. Jesse, good morning to you. Craig, good morning. You can see several storefronts here in downtown Akron boarded up. However, other businesses look as if this is just any Main Street USA this morning. We have not heard any official word from police about possible arrests overnight, but demonstrations appear to have been largely, if not entirely, peaceful in an unsettled community. Overnight outrage in Akron, Ohio. Dozens protesting after Ohio's attorney general announced Monday there will be no state criminal charges against any of the eight officers who opened fire on Jalen Walker, the 25-year-old black man killed by police last June. The grand jury concluded that the officers were legally justified in their use of force. Seven of the special grand jury's nine members would have needed to find sufficient evidence for an indictment. Officials say the panel included two black jurors, three men and six women. Do you think this was more heartbreak, a feeling of injustice, outrage? It's betrayal. It's it's the constant refrain is when will this change? An attorney for Walker's family says he does not trust the findings from a month long investigation. Police attempt a traffic stop. They say Walker flees in his vehicle before firing a gun at least once. Walker then flees on foot in a ski mask. Police tried to tase Walker. Mr. Walker then reached for his waistband in what several officers described as a cross-draw motion, planted his foot, and turned toward the officers while raising his hand. Only then did the officers fire. The scene illustrated in this new video shared by authorities. 
According to prosecutors, police fired 94 shots in less than seven seconds, roughly 46 bullets striking Walker, who died. Although the officers did not know it at the time, Mr. Walker had left his recently purchased gun in his car. Officials say police believed Walker was a threat. If he was a lethal threat leaving his car, he should have been shot immediately when he left his car. But he wasn't. Police say the officers who shot Walker remain on administrative duty. Officials will not publicly name that group, saying they believe those officers continue to face threats. We've reached out to police asking if those officers had any prior use of force complaints against them, but we have not heard back. Craig? Jesse Kirschforce, they're on the streets of Akron. Jesse, thank you. Mr. Roker, 717, what you got? Well, we got a few snow showers around the Great Lakes and also into the northeast and wet weather down through Texas. We are watching, though, this storm that's coming in and moved into the Pacific Northwest. It is going to be kind of a coast-to-coaster for us. Uh, the storm system comes out over the plains. And some severe thunderstorms possible tonight, a marginal risk from Casper, Wyoming. Sioux Falls down to Salina and also Salina, I should say, in Dodge City. Tomorrow, strong winds develop across the plains. We've got a risk of some severe weather along these these thunderstorms. We'll be watching that very closely. Plus, hail is going to be a problem. Isolated tornado can't be ruled out from Omaha down to Oklahoma City. And then Thursday, this line of storms is going to produce a lot of heavy rain. Flash flooding is possible. we got a risk of severe weather, especially just to the east of Dallas, down through Lufkin, Houston, up into St. Louis. Damaging winds, isolated tornadoes, rainfall amounts anywhere one to isolated areas of about three inches of rain from Green Bay, all the way down to Little Rock. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, thank you. Uh, Still ahead, guys, dramatic new video just released. It's showing the race to save actor Jeremy Renner moments after that near-fatal snowplow accident. We'll take a closer look, and we'll hear from Renner. And then we're going to talk about the growing backlash against TikTok. One state just became the very first to approve a full ban of the app, what it means for millions of users. But first, this is Today on NBC. This is how you do a rain delay. Fans up in Boston turned yesterday's pause during the Red Sox game into a full-blown party. Shirts optional. Oh, oh wow. you just drink. I'm sure that was water in his sneaker I mean, that he's drinking, oh, right? Oh, and here's the thing. That rain delay, by the way, it went yeah. on for about an hour and a half. Yeah. It was a long party. It looks like they were having some fun for a while. All right, guys. Oh uh, first up in this half hour, we are getting a new look inside the dramatic rescue of actor Jeremy Renner. Yeah, images captured by first responders in the aftermath of that terrible January snowplow snowplow accident are revealing what they had to do to save the star's life. NBC's Kaylee Hartung is on the story for us. Hi, Kaylee. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. As Jeremy Renner continues to recover from that accident that nearly killed him, we are getting a closer look at just how tense the situation was, with police and medics arriving to a harrowing site, stunned by what they found, and rushing to provide life-saving care. The newly released body cam video shows the dramatic aftermath of the January 1st snowplow accident near actor Jeremy Renner's house in Nevada that left him with 30 broken ribs, a pierced liver, and a collapsed lung. Right where his blood is at, that's right where it all happened. The video shows the large emergency response that saved Renner's life and offers more detail about exactly how Renner ended up being crushed by a snowplow after the actor tried to help his nephew. That's when it started coming at me like full force. That's when he tried to jump back in there. He tried to jump on it into and the it thing, took him under? and it took him under. Renner himself thought he was in grave danger in those moments. He spent weeks recovering at renowned regional medical center, 
And just last week, he returned to the hospital to, quote, revisit the amazing group of people who saved my life. And against all odds, he stepped out onto the red carpet for the premiere of his Disney Plus series, Renovations. A miracle recovery for Renner, who waited 22 minutes for emergency crews to reach him in Lake Tahoe amidst difficult winter conditions. Are there any obvious injuries? Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. He says he's got ribs issues. Okay. His right chest. Yeah, his right chest and the uh, upper upper torso. Uh, his ribs look like they might be crushed. He's got a head wound as well. From the brink of death to bouncing back in true superhero spirit. It's pretty incredible to see this recovery, and I know he's worked so hard at it. So what what's next for him? Well, Savannah, Renner has joked that his calendar is now wide open as this accident completely derailed his plans for the year. But he is excited about that new Disney Plus reality series that serves children's charities. And and as for his health, Renner says some good came of the accident. It helped him finally quit smoking. Now he still has a long road ahead. But what a remarkable recovery he has already made, guys. Wow. Okay, Kaylee, thank you. All right. Still ahead, fans. Who know Jack Black? They know that Jack Black loves to sing, but you actually might be surprised by the song that has landed him his first solo hit. Oh, okay. But first, a major new move against TikTok. Some are talking about a ban nationwide. Well, it's happened in one state. Gotti Schwartz is on a story for us. Hi, Gotti. Hey, good morning. The countdown to ban TikTok in Montana has already begun. But what if you have TikTok already on your phone? We're going to explain coming up right after the break. We're back 737 in depth today. This morning, the intense showdown over TikTok. Yeah, as lawmakers in Washington continue to weigh the wildly popular app's future nationwide, one state has decided to take action on its own. Montana, now the first to pass a bill banning TikTok on nearly all devices. So we've got two uh, reports for you. We're going to start with NBC's Gotti Schwartz. Hey, Gotti, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, Montana's bill would make it illegal to download TikTok in the state, but not illegal to use if you already have it on your phone. Experts say the state's Republican governor signs it into law. It will almost certainly end up in court. Montana TikTokers saying they are not happy about the prospect of their favorite app being banned in Big Sky Country. It's absolutely dumb and ludicrous for the state of Montana to be banning TikTok. But the bill's sponsor says the threat from China is clear, and she hopes to send a message to Washington. After years of investigative reporting, we now know this to be true. TikTok endangers the safety of Montanans and and Americans at large. Around half the states and the federal government already banned TikTok on government devices. This bill, backed by Montana's GOP-controlled legislature, would go even further, prohibiting downloads of TikTok in the state and penalizing mobile app stores, or TikTok, up to $10,000 a day. It does not apply to individual TikTok users and wouldn't take effect until January 2024. Some small business owners who depend on the app for marketing say they don't like the idea. I would say that this is... Trying to ban TikTok is sort of censorship in its, you know, finest form. A spokesperson for TikTok called the bill, quote, egregious government overreach and said the issue will be decided in court, adding the bill's champions have admitted they have no feasible plan for operationalizing this attempt to censor American voices. Without citing specific examples, the bill claims TikTok gathers significant information and accesses users' data against their will to share with the People's Republic of China. Testifying before Congress last month, TikTok CEO said parent company ByteDance is not controlled by the Chinese government. Has ByteDance spied on American citizens? 
I don't think that spying is the right way to describe it. The White House has given the company an ultimatum, sell the app or face a ban in the U.S. Senate Bill 419 has passed the House. Until then, legislators in this deep red state say TikTok represents an espionage threat more significant than any high-altitude balloon. Whatever information the balloon gathered, it surely fell short of China's other surveillance tool, TikTok. Now, once this bill reaches Montana governor's desk, he has 10 days to act on it. The governor hasn't commented specifically on this yet, but he's already banned the use of TikTok on state devices. And at that time, writing, we will defend the state of Montana against all who pose a threat to our security and way of life. Guys. All right. Gotti, thank you. Well, let's bring in NBC's tech correspondent, Jake Ward. Jake, good morning to Mm -hmm. you. Um, Before we get into you know, the practicalities of this and whether it's Mm -hmm. even enforceable. You've said something in the past that I think is is so fascinating, that social media is essentially an incredible surveillance opportunity Mm -hmm. for whether it be a a Chinese government-tied business Mm -hmm. or any corporate Mm -hmm. entity. Mm -hmm. uh, They can watch and see everything. That's absolutely right. I mean, Savannah, we, we know the term uh, applied to this whole business model is surveillance capitalism, whether it's a Chinese-owned company or an American-owned company. The whole point of social media as a business model is keeping track of what we are doing, what we are interested in, what we're likely to do next, and of course, physically, where we are. That has been the essence of it for all this time. I spoke to one intelligence security expert who says a generation ago, the idea that you could actually have something as effective as this, you know, would be unimaginable to any sort of national intelligence service. And the fact that we all have it walking around on our phones is just an absolutely unimaginable thing from a national security perspective. So, Jake, if this ban does go into effect, how do they even figure out who who has downloaded that app? Because people who already have the app get to keep the app. So I guess that would be, mean new downloads. How are they going to survey it? So many things uh, to sort out here. And, you know, the thing about Montana lawmakers is they may not be the ones who have to figure that out. Contrary to what TikTok says there in Gandhi's piece about uh, not having an operational idea of it. I mean, really all that the lawmakers in theory have to do is say this is banned within our state borders. And then it becomes up to the providers of the technology to sort that out. We know technologically it is feasible. Experts tell me that, you know, companies can figure out exactly where you are pretty easily based on your cell phone signal and location. Um, But what happens at that point, right? If you walk five feet out of the state, what happens then? What if you're in one of the seven sovereign territories inside Montana, uh, you know, that are uh, uh, tribal? I mean, all of that is very, very complicated. But we do know at this point, right, that as of January 1st, 2024, if this goes forward, uh, there would be a $10,000 a day fine for TikTok for users of uh, TikTok within the borders. Um, But the most important thing here, you guys, is that it would not be us, the users of TikTok, that would pay that fine. There'd be no charges for them. Uh, it would be uh, just a, a fine levied against the company. Yeah. And how that would all work, of course, needs to be sorted out both technically and in court. Yeah, it sounds like a lot has to be sorted out. I mean, Jake, the reality is that it's not just like teenagers doing wacky dances on TikTok. You do have some small businesses that use TikTok to, to advertise. Uh, what I mean, isn't it like whack-a-mole, even if they shut down TikTok? Wouldn't you just get another TikTok a few months from now, a few years from now, essentially doing the same thing? 
I mean, this is the thing, right, you guys, there is no federal data privacy law or data transparency law. I mean, experts I've been speaking to basically say that knocking down this one platform would make no difference in the long run. You're going to have another one come along. It's not until we have a federal standard around this stuff uh, that we're going to get around this world in which we're just basically creating this patchwork of laws across the 50 states, which, of course, is complicated for Americans and very, very complicated for the companies trying to reach us all. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, what's specific mm-hmm. about TikTok is that, that you know, national security concerns because right. mm-hmm. it's yeah, associated right. with China. the Chinese yes. government, yeah. the Communist Party of China. Yeah. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. the key difference yes. here. But mm-hmm. the larger issues, of course, Jake, you've outlined them well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jake. All right. We've got 744. Let's go over to Mr. Rucker. we got to check the forecast. Hey, Al. Well, we're not looking at you. We're not paying attention to what you're doing. We're telling you what's Shut happening you. in your neck of the world. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. I don't want local stations going away. Uh, 23 million people under fire weather watches, red flag warnings from the southwest with wind gusts of over 45 miles per hour, low humidity also in the mid-Atlantic states. Fire and ice, basically. Look at this. 17 million folks under frost advisories, freeze warnings from Iowa City down to Hazard, Kentucky. Those temperatures this morning right now, 27 in Ames, 32 Fort Wayne, 39 in Evansville. Now, the central part of the country is going to be looking at nice warm weather. Look at this. Denver, 77, 13 degrees above average. Chicago, though, cooler than average by 4 degrees. New York at 58. That's 4 degrees cooler than average. Stays chilly in the Northeast tomorrow, but nice and warm from Cincinnati. Atlanta out to Kansas City. Then temperatures cool off a bit. Thursday, Chicago, you're 72 by Saturday, 46. Cleveland, 81 by Saturday, 59. And Roanoke, 85 on Thursday, 77 by Saturday. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, thank you. Uh, coming up next. Let's, fi- let's go back in the files. Okay. 18 years. Okay. okay. It's been a few decades. Okay. Remember the first job you ever yes. had? Remember mm-hmm. the lessons you learned? Mm-hmm. A lot of people are asking, is it still good for teens to get that summer job? Yes, Uh absolutely. Yes. You're going to get five yeses right here. (laughs)